Hello, the congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's summer and holidays is on the minds of most, if not all of us. School uh, coming to an end or has come to an end. What does the Bible say about all of this? What does the Bible say about the rhythm of work and rest in our lives? This is important for us to stop and think about because we, we live in the culture. And when you live in the culture, then what the culture thinks and what the culture does kind of oozes into us, oozes into our minds and our hearts by osmosis if we don't think about it. So Christians, as children of God, we need to be thoughtful, we need to be deliberate, we need to be intentional about how we see all of life, every detail of it. Because you know how the unregenerate heart looks at work and rest, right? The... The daily and, and the weekly grind of work is often seen as kind of a, a necessary evil. I got to do this to get the money so that I can do the things that I really want to do. And when Friday comes around, well, TGIF, thank God it's Friday, one of the rare occasions when um, unbelievers will actually thank God for something, even though they don't really mean it, they're not really talking to him, but they're happy that, that the work's done and, and now I can start living. I can start enjoying real living. That happens daily. That happens weekly. And also yearly when vacation time comes around, when the holiday season arrives, there's so many people that kind of think, well, you know, finally I, I get a break from this slavery to my day job. Finally, I've got some me time and I can enjoy life. And I just wish that it was the other way around, that I just worked two or three weeks and then the rest was holidays. Wouldn't that be awesome? That's kind of the thinking of the natural man. And then if you take that daily, that weekly, that yearly rhythm and stretch it out to the, the entire lifetime of the human being, and you see that, that drive and that longing and that anxiety to, to gather the things of this world and to, to put together in our granaries uh, the, the, or in our bank accounts the, the, the funds that we need so that we don't have to work. We want to stop working. We want to retire so we can enjoy life. We can dream of doing that by working, but, but even better would be if we win the lottery, right? Because then we can stop working right away and we can just live finally. Well, that's kind of the general thought out there in the culture, but the Bible teaches us something very different. And so this afternoon, we're going to access the teaching of Scripture on work and rest and holidays through the fourth commandment. But this is kind of the doorway as we go into this topic. Uh, we'll, we'll look through the Scriptures and see the teaching of Scripture in different parts of the Word of God. Now, the, if you have your Bible open to Exodus 20 in the fourth commandment, it's important to note how the fourth commandment begins. Remember... This is not something that Moses is making up. This is not something new that God is giving to his people. This is something that is, exists. And we know when it came to be. The Sabbath day to be remembered is the Sabbath day instituted at the very beginning of the world, when God created the world in six days and he rested on the seventh day. That rhythm of working and resting, God says, remember that, that that's what I want you to do. You keep working in that rhythm, which I have ordained and which I have declared to be good and holy 
and right. We look in history and we look at the Russian history, look at French history, you look at uh, history around the world, and so many times people have tried to get rid of that seven-day rhythm, and it hasn't worked. It's built into creation. And when people try to live a 10-day rhythm or some other kind of rhythm, it's painful. It doesn't work. Now, if you have your Bible handy and you look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, you'll see that what is sometimes very surprising even to believers, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it or to guard it. So here's the word work. This is before the fall. There's a perfect world. There's no sin. There's no pain, no suffering, but there is work. And that tells us that work is not something bad in and of itself. On the contrary, God made us, he created us, to work, and that is a good and holy thing. It is part of a perfect world to work, part of a very good creation. You look there at the end of Genesis chapter 1, God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. Now, now there's Adam, there is Eve. They were created to, to, to be busy, to work, to develop the world for the glory of God. And they had a very busy first day, of course, Adam and Eve were created on the sixth day, and there was a lot to do on that day. Adam had to learn the Word of God. He had to learn the ropes of his office as, as Lord over creation under God. He had to name all the different classes of animals, and he had to meet his wife after undergoing that surgery that the Lord put him through, and he got married. There was a lot of stuff to happen on his first day of existence. But what happened on the first full day? Of course, that, that sixth day he came into being, but, but, but what happened on the very first full day of life on this earth? What kind of a day was it for Adam? Well, it was the Sabbath. He had hardly gotten started, and the Lord said, stop, because that's what Sabbath means. Sabbath means, it's the Hebrew word Shabbat, and Shabbat just means stop. Just stop. And God said, stop. You've, you've hardly gotten started. Everything is perfect now because the woman was finally created as the last act of creation, and now everything's perfect. And now, enjoy it. That's what God's command was to Adam. It was a rest day. His first full day on the job, his job was to rest and to enjoy the good, 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 very good creation of God. Now, how was he to do that? By worshiping. And how did he do that? By enjoying the creation and praising God for it. By enjoying one another and praising God for one another. By enjoying God and praising God for who he is and what he has done. That's how we got started. That was our first day, our first full day on the job as human beings, a day of rest and worship. Now, in the fourth commandment, Moses, the Lord through Moses, is saying, well, remember that. That's the rhythm I've put into creation. That's why you stop. That's why you Shabbat. So that you can worship. So that you can enjoy God and enjoy God's good gifts in creation. And now, as we go through the scriptures from Genesis through to Exodus, 
and then on into Deuteronomy, we, we see that God adds something because the fall happened. And so if you look at the, the fourth commandment in Deuteronomy chapter 5, which is the second time that we come across the Ten Commandments, if you have your Bible handy, Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 12, and you'll see there's the fourth commandment in the second time that we have the, the law, and you see that the, the reasoning behind the fourth commandment is different here. In, in Exodus, God says, well, I want you to rest because I, 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 I created the world in six days and then I rested. And in Deuteronomy, he says, I want you to rest. Why? Look at verse 15. Because you were a slave. And the Lord your God brought you out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath. And so God adds something which wasn't there in, in the first Sabbath because it couldn't be there in the first Sabbath. The idea of not just creating, but the idea of recreating, of fixing what we broke, of rescuing from slavery, because sin turned everything upside down. Sin ruined the way that God made the world to work on every level and every aspect. And one of the things that sin did was to make work into something that we consider evil, to make work into something which enslaves us rather than serves us. And so in Deuteronomy, God says there's one more reason to celebrate Shabbat, to celebrate stopping resting, stopping from work and resting. And that is that I rescued you from slavery. You are slaves to your work. But a child of God cannot be a slave to her work or to his work. That's just wrong. I rescued you from that. I rescued you from the consequences of sin. And so I want you to stop. I want you to rest. I want you to celebrate. I want you to rejoice and just delight in my acts of creation and in my acts of redemption. Because God in Christ is fixing what we broke. He is healing the world. He's restoring things to the way that they ought to be. And so this is the rhythm that God has built into human life. There's a, there's a daily, a weekly, a monthly, a yearly, and a lifespan rhythm of working and resting working and resting. And I want to go through those different periods of time with you. First of all, the daily, the daily work and rest. God teaches us to work hard and he teaches us to, to rest hard, to really rest. And you see that in Psalm 127. If we're going to sing it after the sermon, but let's look at it right now in the scripture, Psalm 127. And the Lord says to us in Psalm 127, look, if you're just working and working and working and waking up early and going to bed late and you're, you're just worried all the time and, and, and it's never enough and, you, and you're just striving and striving and you're in that little hamster wheel of being a workaholic, you're wasting your time. That is vain. That, that, that's, and the word vain here means something which is empty. And when the Bible speaks about something which is empty or useless, then that's very closely connected to the biblical idea of idolatry. The, the word for idolatry or idol in the scripture also has to do with emptiness or lightness or, or something which has no value. So we, it's not too much of a stretch to say, look, that's a useless idolatry. If you're just enslaved to your work and you're enslaved to all the things that you have to do, 
to the point where you can't enjoy your life, you've got a problem and you're wasting your time. It's not good for you. And what does God say? He gives to his beloved sleep. Now, that's a legitimate translation. We obviously have it right here. The Hebrew also allows us to translate it this way, where he gives to his beloved while they sleep. You work hard, you sleep the, the sleep of the righteous, and while you're sleeping, God is blessing all the seeds that you have sown and all the work that you've done. While you sleep, God grants the blessings. And so God calls us away from a life of, of anxiety where I have to take care of myself and I have to run faster in that little hamster wheel and I have to be more of a workaholic to get what I need to get, to have the kind of lifestyle that I need to, to have. God teaches us that to rest is to trust. You know, resting daily, weekly, on the Lord's Day especially, is an act of faith. It is saying, Lord, I'm not doing anything productive in terms of, you know, trying to earn things here, but I don't need to. I can work six days and I can just rest because you're going to take care of me. It's an act of faith. And conversely, not to keep the Lord's Day is an act of unbelief. It is saying, Lord, you really can't take care of me. I have to take care of myself. If I'm going to take the Lord's Day and, and rest from my work, I'm going to be in trouble financially. Or my career is going to be held back. And, and I don't think that you're powerful enough or good enough to take care of me. So I'm going to take care of myself. And so to break the Lord's Day is an act of incredulity. It's an act of not but of unbelief. Whether that's for money generating kind of work, or whether that's for at school, you've got an exam on the Monday morning early. And if you if you are a student or you ever have been a student, you know that's a really tough temptation to deal with, isn't it? Because you got that exam on Monday morning and you kind of want to cram the day before. I want to encourage you, this blessing of God is also for you as a student. He's calling you to trust. You do your work. You work hard the six days. Take the Lord's day and rest, and you will see God's blessing. You certainly will. Be content with his provision, with his acts of, with his providence. And so to keep the, the Lord's day to keep the, the moments of rest that God ordains is an act of faith. It's an act of worship. And you see that in Psalm 128, which is the next Psalm after 127, of course. And you see there that picture of someone who works hard and rests well. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways, which includes the fourth commandment. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed. And so the psalmist describes a People, a family that's working hard, each one in their own jobs. And at the end of every day and, and at the end of every week they, and at the end of every season, they just sit back and they enjoy. They enjoy the good things that God gives with family, with loved ones. And that is an act of worship. You remember what the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31? He says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. What, what does that mean? It means that, that when you have worked hard all day and you come home or you are home already and you just sit on the back deck or in the backyard and just enjoy a nice drink and just kind of relax and 
and think back on the day and, and thank God for the things you were allowed to do and, and for the things you were allowed to accomplish. That's an act of worship. Just as you have that drink or as you eat your meal at the end of the day and just celebrate the good things that God has given during that day. The Bible describes that in these terms. In the Old Testament, the Bible describes this state of blessedness where every man is sitting under his own vine and his own fig tree. And the, the, the picture is certainly that, that there's this hard day's work has happened. And you just sit there and, and enjoy. You enjoy the, the cooling off in the evening. You enjoy the food, the drink, the fellowship, the family, the loved ones, the friendship. You enjoy looking at what's been accomplished. You have satisfaction and pleasure in your labor. You enjoy the fruits of your labor. That's what God already gives us even now in this broken world, even before heaven. He gives us little tastes of it because this reflects who he is. He made the world. He saw it was very good, and then he stopped. Shabbat, he stopped. That was Adam's first full day. It was no work. Just enjoy the creation, the creatures, the fruit of his labors. Think about that. Don't, don't, we see little, don't we see little sparks of that in our daily life? You've worked really hard on a, a new garden bed, and you've been digging and putting in the soil and planting some things, and then you, you, you take a little break, and you stand back, and you look at what you've done, and you say, that feels good. I worked hard, and now I'm going to take a break and have a drink and just enjoy looking at the fruit of my labor. That's within the day. There's that little cycle of work and rest, work and you worship God in your work, you worship God in your rest and your enjoyment as you delight in the results. That happens within the day, it happens daily, it happens weekly. So let's, we've talked about the daily a little bit, let's talk about the weekly now. And here's the question, what comes first, work or rest? Do we work so that we can rest, or do we rest so that we can work? And I think that as Christians we know it's the, the latter, it's the second one. God says, the first day you rest, that's what I want you to do. You enjoy, because it's all being done for you, enjoy what I've provided. And then in the strength and the joy and the delight of that rest in God and his good creation and his provision, now go out and live and work. And so we begin our week with the rest day. We enjoy, we worship, we're refreshed, we're fed with the word. And we're ready to begin a new week of activity in God's world, using his good gifts to fulfill our office, to develop the creation. We worship him in our rest so that we can worship him in our work. And how very different that is from a, an unregenerate look at that rhythm of the week. You know, we, we as Christians, we don't live for the weekend. At least we, we shouldn't. Sometimes we fall into that, but we shouldn't be do that. We don't live for the weekend. We live for the Lord. That's the rhythm of our week. So daily, weekly, then look at yearly. What about annual holidays? Well, you just look at that word holiday and look at the etymology of it. Where does the word come from? It comes from the word holy day. And in the church over the last couple of thousand of years, and also in the church of the Old Testament, Days of rest, holidays, were often connected with days of worship, holy days. And we read Leviticus 23. 
Now, Leviticus 23 mentions a lot of feasting and a lot of resting and a lot of days off. There were weekly ones, there were, there were monthly ones. The, the, the new moon festivals weren't mentioned in Leviticus 23, but they're mentioned elsewhere in the Old Testament that every month there was a feast of the new moon. So it was another feast. There were, the, there were a bunch of feasts that lasted for seven days. That was quite the feast. With food offerings. And when you bring food offerings to the Lord, then many of those food offerings, you bring food offering, and then you get to sit down and eat and drink and enjoy it together with your family and with your neighbors and your loved ones. So a lot of feasting, a lot of joy, a lot of rest. And, and note, did you notice as we read through Leviticus 23, how often those concepts came through where the Lord said, I don't want you to work. This is the Old Testament. You know, sometimes people say, well, the God of the Old Testament, the unbelievers will say this, they'll say, well, the God of the Old Testament is very harsh and demanding. Oh, no, he's not. He's, he's no different than the God of the New Testament, the same God, and he's just so kind. I mean, this is a God who is telling us, I don't want you to work too much. I want you to enjoy your life. I want you to enjoy my good creation, enjoy each other. That's certainly not harsh at all. And so you see, as we read through Leviticus 23, don't do work. You need to rest. You need to celebrate. You need to feast. You need to rejoice. And then at the end of the year, when all the harvest was in and all the fruits of the harvest were all gathered together, there was the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feasts of Booths. It was the, the final seven-day-long party. It was a feast where they would get out of their houses and live in tents. They were camping. Everybody was camping, and there was food and banquets and feasting everywhere. Lots of good food, lots of good fellowship. Just a whole week long of just enjoying the good gifts of God. Everyone did it. How different that is than what they had in Egypt, right? When there were slaves and they were under the whip. So what is God telling us with, with all of this, this idea of walking, but then having seasons, not just moments and not just days, but actually seasons of rest. Every seven years, there was the there was the, the, the Sabbath year where a whole year long they would pull right back on the normal work they did and they would just kind of do maintenance work and so, but they would just live off the land. So there's, there's all these rhythms of work and rest, daily, weekly, yearly, and even on the longer periods of every seven years. What is God telling them? Well, God is telling them this. I want you to work hard. I want you to work faithfully for me, for my glory. And we know what God thinks about laziness. You just read the Proverbs, and it's very, very clear. The Proverbs speak about the sluggard. The sluggard, you know, like a door turns on its hinges, so turns the sluggard on his bed. You think of the, the vineyard or the, 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 the farm of the sluggard. It's full of weeds, and the wall is falling down. And God doesn't have anything good to say about lazy people, about laziness. And he makes it clear that laziness and not wanting to work and and, and, and be productive leads to destruction and to judgment. So there's no idea of promoting laziness. But what God does want us to do is, is work hard and then enjoy the fruits of our hard work. And he encourages us, he commands us to be involved in those activities of enjoying and feasting and celebrating and resting. And these are acts of worship. This is important. Because, again, we live in the world, and by osmosis, the world's perspective on things can kind of ooze into our minds and our hearts. 
so that we may think, well, I, I work, I do things for the Lord, and there's the weekly rhythm, I work, and then I go to church on the Lord's Day, but finally I've got my summer holidays, and now it's me time. And God says, no, it's not. Not if you want to be my child. There's no me time. There's only Christ time. There's only God time. It's all for me, as in God, not for me, as in the child of God. So God does not encourage us to think in a worldly way about our annual holidays. It's, 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 a, it's, a, a day, it's a time of rest. It's a time of rejoicing and celebrating, but it is not a holiday from God. And it is not a holiday from worship. This is important. You know, we look at the people of God in the Old Testament, that, that final huge feast at the end, the Feast of Booths, the Feast of Tabernacles. It was a lot of fun. It was very enjoyable, very restful. But it was worship. It was all focused on delighting in God and his gifts. It was not an idea like, hey, we've been serving God all year, now I want to take a break. And so when you go on vacation, when I go on vacation, do, do we think of that? You know, we make our plans, right? We say, well, where are we going to go? We choose the, the town or the country or the place. We choose the place where we're going to stay. We choose the, the things, the activities that we'd like to do, the places where we're going to eat. But do we, are we careful? Are we intentional about the place we're going to worship? Or do we just kind of roll into town and say, oh, there's a building with a cross on it. Okay, let's pop by there on Sunday. And you come in on the Lord's Day and there is a woman preacher wearing a rainbow stole. God expects us to be deliberate in everything we do, intentional. And that also includes planning to worship on our holidays, not to take holiday from worship. You, you can't take a break from God. It's like you can't take a break from breathing. You can't say, well, I'm, I'm going on holidays for couple of weeks, so I'm not going to breathe for two weeks. You don't say, I'm going on holidays for two weeks, so I'm not going to eat or drink for two weeks. That doesn't make sense. And so we can't be away from that weekly rhythm of worshiping God with his people. God calls us into his presence also on our holidays. And so there we are. We're enjoying wherever God has placed us on our holidays. There's a lake, there's a cabin, there are mountains, there's kayaking, there's bird watching, or just sitting in your own backyard enjoying the sun for a few days of delicious relaxation. And that is worship too. God delights in you, delighting in him and his works and his providential gifts. And so I encourage you, brothers and sisters, as we enjoy our holidays this year, to intentionally, deliberately make them acts of worship, which is what they are. And then there's the daily, the weekly, the yearly, there's the, the whole lifespan. We get older, and as we get older, the hard work falls to the young. It's good for a man to bear his burden when he is young. The older have less physical and mental strength often. There comes a time that even if we wanted to, we couldn't work as we used to. We're weaker in mind and body. And in the Old Testament already, we read about the Levites, for instance, that when they were 50 years old, they were to retire from active duty in the tabernacle and the temple. And then they would do supporting work. They, they, they wouldn't stop, but they would certainly do supporting work. And, and the heavier work was left to the younger men. And that's something that we need to think about as well. How am I thinking about my life? I was a child, teenager, 
a young person. And as I get older, there's that whole idea of stopping the general normal activities of my career and my job and my colleagues. And then what? How do we think about that? John Piper, the well-known Reformed Baptist theologian, speaks about a couple that retired early so that they could walk along the beaches of the world and collect seashells. And when Piper speaks about that, he says, you know, wow, imagine that. The Lord comes back. You say, Lord, you know, we had 20, 30 years of retirement. Here is our seashell collection. How was that supposed to bring worship and praise to God? Really? Is Is that your life? I mean, that can be a part of your life, but if that's your whole life, there's really something missing. And so when we look towards retirement, we see that that whole rhythm of work and rest also in our lifespan. We need to think about these things biblically. There's a whole lifetime of work behind you. There are seeds you've planted. There are projects you've worked on. There are children you've brought up. There are students you've taught. There are things that you've built, projects that you've been involved in. There are perhaps children and grandchildren in your life that you minister to in some way, that you bless in some way. Retirement in old age is not, oh, finally it's me time. No. Just like with other, every other duration of work and rest, so our lifespan work and rest is a time to worship. It is a time to look at God's blessings. And you see there in Psalm 128 that it's not just enjoying family and, and, and the fruit of our labors. But you see there at the end of Psalm 128 that it's also time to enjoy the peace, the shalom that is on Jerusalem. That you look not just at yourself and your own family and your own life, but you look at God's people. You look at the kingdom of God. You look at the church of God and you enjoy the good shalom, peace blessings that God is pouring out upon his people, and that you're part of that. You delight in it, and you delight in promoting it. You delight in praising God for it. You worship him for it, and you contribute to it as you are able, with words of wisdom, with prayers, and with being a living member of the body. Now, sometimes it's difficult. There are challenges, and that's okay. The Lord helps us to deal with the challenges, sometimes because we live in a a bit of a bleak area where the winters get a little cold. Sometimes some retired people will choose to live in a warmer place, and we can't blame them really, can we? But then that brings challenges as well. How can I be, uh, remain a living member of the congregation? And that's okay. Prayerfully, we work through that, and we ask the Lord to help us so that we're, wherever we are, we're contributing as living members to the body of Christ and maintaining that relationship with God's people. And there are ways to do that, and God gives them There's the daily, the weekly, the yearly, the lifespan, but then there's the big picture. And for that, I want to go to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4 speaks about the people of God coming uh, through the desert, and they come out of the slavery of Egypt, where they certainly had no rest. They were whipped and kicked and made to work without rest. Then they had to slug it through the desert, up one sand dune and down the other, and try to parent their children and take care of their flocks and herds and try to find food, uh, which the Lord obviously gave, but it was still a lot of work. So there was a hard slog, and, and they were just looking forward to coming to the promised land where they could rest. And yet so many of them, because of unbelief, did not enter. They were on the verge of entering, 
And they said, no, this is too good to be true. Let's go back to the desert. And that's what happened to many of them. But even when they came into the promised land, did they really get the rest that they were looking for? Look at verse 8 of chapter 4 of Hebrews, Hebrews 4, 8. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works, as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. You know, there's that same dynamic happening, isn't there? You know, we, that's a picture going through the, the desert, going to the promised land. That's a picture of life. That's what we're doing. Now, in my beginning prayer in this worship service, I was alluding a lot to Psalm 84 as we, we go through the desert of this world, from oasis to oasis, to, from strength to strength, until we appear before the Lord in Zion. That's what the whole history of the world is. That's what the whole history of our life is. And as many of the Israelites in the Old Testament were about to enter, they said, nah, this isn't going to work. I don't believe it's worth the effort. And they turned around, and they did not enter the rest. And, and God warns us, why would you do that? Why would you spend your whole life following me, your whole life depending on me, your whole life worshiping me, only to give up at the end and follow the things of, of this world? Joshua was not able to give them ever a lasting rest. Many failed to enter. And those who did enter only experienced a picture or a taste of the rest which is to come. It wasn't perfect rest that they got. Even the ones that came into the promised land, it wasn't perfect rest. It was a picture of the rest to come, but it wasn't the rest itself. And so as we end this reflection on the scriptures teaching about work and rest, we look to the, the big picture. History is moving forward. It is moving towards that day when the seventh day of rest of Genesis 2 will happen again. When God will say, as he did there at the end of Genesis 1, beginning of Genesis 2, he'll say, look, it's all done. My work of creation is done, obviously. My work of recreation is done. It's all ready. Except it won't be redone or fixed to the way that it was. It will be even better. You know, back then, there was God, there was Adam, there was Eve, resting and enjoying the perfect, very, very, very good work of God's creation. They were worshiping God as they delighted in him and his works, but, but ahead of them, there was a lot of stuff to happen. They had to have children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, the world had to be filled with worshipers of God, and they had to develop the world, because it was just the garden. And Jesus doesn't bring us back there and say, okay, you know, you sinned, you messed up, I fixed it, now try again. Here's the garden, let's go for a second try. He doesn't do that. Jesus comes to us with the new Jerusalem, coming down from heaven. The perfectly built new world, it's all done. What we didn't do, and what we ended up not being able to do because of our sin, Jesus has done for us. You read Revelation and there's this glorious garden city, and it fills the world, 
and it's all finished. And we don't have to lift a finger. This is like when the people of Israel walked into the promised land and there were houses they hadn't built and, and, and wells they hadn't dug and trees that were bearing fruit which they hadn't planted. And we get that times several million. We get that way more. We get a world in which everything has been made new. We get to enter into an eternal rest where Jesus has done it all. And he shall see the results of the travail of his soul. He shall see the fruit of all his suffering and pain, and he shall be satisfied. When he sees all his elect children in everlasting, perfect joy, sin dealt with, the enemies destroyed, all things reconciled by Christ and through Christ, all things made new, everything good, 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 and very good, even better than it was before the fall. Perfect, the complete, the eternal Sabbath of rest, and then we will enter into the eighth day, and the eighth day never ends because there's no sun and there's no twilight and there's no nighttime. The eighth day is the eternal Sabbath. And we only have one job. That is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. To delight in him together. To worship him perfectly without sin. To feast and to celebrate enjoy communion with all the saints together with Jesus at the banquet of the kingdom of heaven and to enjoy every good thing that God has created for his glory, that God has created for our joy in him. The greatest pleasure, the greatest good and holy and wonderful pleasures that God allows us to taste in this world right now times a billion way, way, way better than we can even think or imagine. The eternal celebration of God's act of creation, of God's act of recreation, restoration, redemption in Christ. We will never get tired. We'll never get bored. We won't need a break or a holiday or a vacation or a rest because all of life will just be perfect, worship, perfect delight as we enjoy God, as we enjoy God's people, as we enjoy God's creation, and it will just get better and better and better forever and ever. And as we take our rest daily, weekly, and yearly, and in our old age, let this be a foretaste of that heavenly reality, and let it be an act of worship. Amen. Okay.